I want to welcome all of you again. I am deeply grateful that God in his mercy has drawn you here to worship him today. I do apologize in the last couple of hymns I dropped out and left you to your own. <clears throat> when my eyes fill with tears, my voice stops. I cannot push it out, <laughs> and I wish I could. I've watched people sing with tears flowing down their face before. I can't do it. <clears throat> Brother, we have sung this morning gospel music, Amen. not what is normally called gospel music. We're not talking about that category. <clears throat> but you have heard Christ set before you plainly. You've set his cleansing blood and the glories of the gospel set before you. I pray your heart is fired with love for him <clears throat> because now we want to hear him. <clears throat> Let me say to all of our visitors, once again, we are grateful to have you here this morning. We do pray that God will come to you in power as his word goes forth. <clears throat> For those that have come in a little later than our earlier announcement, if you would please check and make sure that your cell phone is on mute. We would deeply appreciate that. If you can live without it, turn it off. But if you can't, at least put it on Mute. Uh, if you are here visiting with us and you have little ones, uh, we are delighted to have them here with us, uh, here in the gathering of God's people. <clears throat> we know that uh, all of our children generally are in some stage of their training. If your little ones have become unruly, uh, you can take them right through that back door and join those that are sitting in that room. We have a large screen there where you can continue following the message. And when your little one quiets down, please feel free to rejoin us. Our people do it just about every Sunday. Now, it is something that we know, something that we're used to, and we want you to be comfortable. If you're not in a church where they have <clears throat> the children with their parents, uh, it can be unnerving the first time or first few times you're there and your children need <clears throat> correction. So please feel free to uh, take them back there. We also have a nursing mother's room if any of you are doing that great and holy work. All right, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you would turn there in God's word, 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> 1 
1 Timothy 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 7. They will be our text for some weeks ahead. I will be saying, I'm sure, for those of you that have read any of the emails, uh, Myra and I hope uh, to begin uh, a very much needed break, uh, the 17th or the 18th, and uh, we will be back on the first Sunday of the new year. Looking forward to that reunion. I miss everybody already. And is the way I feel. And I talk about feelings, my feelings very often. I tell you right now, I don't like being away from the Lord's people. I don't like the way it feels. So, uh, <clears throat> so this will be the last message from this passage this year. The last time that I will be preaching this year, unless standard Mount Zion and Chapel Providences take place, you might see me sooner than 2023. So all that, all that to say, I trust that I will leave you in a good place this morning. I do intend to finish the message. <clears throat> First Timothy chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 7 of God's blessed word. Please stand with me. <clears throat> We thank the Lord that the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, is with his candlesticks, especially on this day, set aside by most of his people to worship and adore him in that blessed one and seven principle that we have a day gloriously carved out of all the busyness and the things that we face to offer up to our God throughout the day. All day, may our hearts and minds be united in that joyful market day of the soul. 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is God's word. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. A husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Amen. Amen. These are God's words. He has preserved them for us. Let's now, as he has spoken to us, let's speak back to him in prayer.
Father, how we bless thee this morning. We praise thy name. Thou art all glorious. I thank thee for gathering thy dear people here. Here we are, Lord. And across this planet, thou hast people meeting in the smallest number and in large numbers. Gathered together in true Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, Spirit-governed worship. And oh God, how I pray that our little voices that crack and break and sing out of key were made beautiful by the Spirit of God as we offered up our hearts unto Thee. I pray, O righteous Father, that our hearing of the Word was without distraction. I pray, my righteous God, that all that we have done thus far has blessed Thee, magnified Thee, glorified Thee. Lord, as our weak, but I trust genuine, real praise rose up to thee, that thou in thy kindness will send the Spirit in great power to us. Father, fill every heart. O Christ, as we said, here is thy bride. Thou hast loved us before the foundation of the world. Thou hast breathed life into the souls of many that are here. Thou hast drawn them out of darkness into the glorious light of Christ. And yet, O oh God, we have a holy complaint. There are many here who do not know thee and have sat here and have known they do not know thee for years. And we pray with all of our hearts that thou wouldst come in thy mighty love, thy mighty power, the mighty light of regeneration. Open their hearts, cause them to see their sinfulness, cause them to see their need of Christ Jesus. And cause them, O oh God, to cast themselves upon thee in repentance and faith. And Father, for thy dear people, for thy precious people, for thy blood-bought people, encourage them today. Encourage them. Lord, edify, build up thy church. Father, as our brother said earlier, and Father, as I said before thee, there are those here who have struggled throughout the week and found themselves weak. Father, how I pray as we sing in that glorious hymn. Now, Lord, let the healing work begin. Let the healing work begin. Encourage their souls and let them no more lie down in sin. Father, encourage, breathe upon the, 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 the flickering coals of love. Some, O oh Lord, at one time had great love, a passionate love for praying reading the scriptures and being alone with thee, Father, and they know they've grown cold. Light the fire. Father, are these not thy children? 
Are these not thy loved ones? Blow by the mighty wind of thy spirit that their sparks might be flames by the time they leave today. O God, for those that have delighted in thee throughout the week, who have come to thee, who have spent that blessed time alone in the closet, in the corner with thee. Father, I do pray that their prayers, their hearing of prayers, their singing, their hearing the word read were all means of grace that delighted them, that flew, that, that, th- that threw the, uh, the, 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 the fuel, O oh God, the, the, the gasoline that made their hearts roar back in love to thee. Father, what's the matter with us? Well, thou knowest. Meet with us and help us. Father, for those who need correction, for those who need reproof, bring it. We know that if thou dost love us, your chastening makes us but more like Christ. And oh God, for those that are rejoicing, for those whose hearts are overflowing with the joy of thy spirit. Father, may they radiate that in our midst today. Oh God, may they speak and encourage and edify their brothers and sisters. Father, may the preaching of thy word today have its ultimate end. Cause us to love. To love thee. And to love thy people. Do a marvelous work here. Raise the dead. Sanctify the saved. And help this vessel of dust. To handle thy word Lord. That I might give account. In that great day that's coming. And oh father. May I not cause any of thy children to stumble. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. When Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, left for Macedonia, he left Timothy, his son, in the faith in Ephesus. Why? Why did he do that? He gave Timothy a formidable And fearful project. Charge some that they teach no other doctrine. 
False teachers were infecting the Ephesian congregation with the plague of their false doctrine. And that toxic teaching was destroying Christ's order in his church. Jesus loves his church. He doesn't like it when people disturb its peace or disrupt his order. Read the book of Revelation. Five out of seven churches rebuked. <clears throat> Timothy's mission was to take the false teachers head on doctrinally to reform the congregation. <clears throat> he was to reestablish and preserve Christ's glorious gospel and Christ's doctrine. And why? <clears throat> to reform Christ's order for worship, Christ's order for men and women, Christ's order for church life, and all that was to reform Christ's order for daily life and the advancement of his kingdom. This is Christ's nursery. This is where we're to grow up and go out there and live like mature Christian people. People that are not satisfied with the status quo, but are not satisfied until their hearts are one with Christ and they're living a life that says it. In other words, Timothy was to correct the errors of the false teachers, and to restore the Ephesian church to its Christological and apostolical purity. And one of the most important ways that Timothy could accomplish that was by teaching the Ephesian congregation Christ's qualification for the pastors of the church. It's quite interesting to read modern commentators. They can't understand why Paul would say, this is a true saying. This is a faithful saying. In every place but here, he talks about salvation. And they even say, I mean, why would they take something that's not that important to say this is a true saying? Why would they do that? Because they don't understand the church of Jesus Christ. Who preaches the gospel? The pastors that he qualifies. The heart and soul of any church is the word of God. Christ's glorious, infallible word. His words. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of life. And he's appointed pastors, bishops, elders, shepherds to preach his word to his people. That is the outworking of God's eternal purpose. How important is that? It's astounding 
how little love there is for the church of Jesus Christ. Wicked and sinful men, even that call themselves Christians, men and women, that think, I don't need the church, don't have Christ. This word makes that clear. Anything in the world can virtually keep us from worship. What book are you reading? Do we, did, did we hear? I hope we did. I was trying to listen. My flesh was trying to rebel. When Brother Taylor read from Revelation, do you hear what's going on in heaven? Well, you may be saying, well, that, that's what's going on later. No, don't you understand that this is what God wants going on on earth? That's what his churches are for, to bring him glory. It's not a place just to go log one more sermon. It's to hear from the head and walk with him and grow up as believers. I have said before, and I will say it again emphatically. For those of you that may have thought that my last exhortation was too loud, the problem with this nation is its pulpits. I'm going to say it yet again. No, wait. It's that guy in the White House. He's there because God's people have not ordered their lives right. Read the scriptures. God gives bad kings to people that ignore his word. Well, it's... It's what they're doing, the LGBT movement and, and, and the trans people and the drug and the dope dealers and the alcoholics. Those are all what happened to human beings when they abandoned the life-giving word of God and the transforming power of God's gospel. That's why the church is the place to be on the Lord's day with his people, worshiping and adoring him who loved us and gave his holy and beloved and beautiful son for us. Thank you, Father. Amen. The problem is the pastors and their failures. There are wonderfully faithful and consistent men out there. I don't want to make it sound like there's no one. But I will say as a whole, just get on the internet or if you have a television, just watch what's coming over the waves. Listen to what's going on. If you are putting your face into this book, you have to be appalled. You have to be appalled. It's the pastors and their failure to preach God's word God's way. Many simply do not preach Christ's gospel. Oh, 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 your best life now. That's not the gospel. Ever. Tens of thousands of people eat that. 
It's poison. We want a good life. I'll tell you right where it is. Under the cross of Christ. That's where the best life in this world is to be found. Well, many pastors, as I said, simply don't preach the gospel. Many who preach Christ crucified and resurrected call no one to repent. Many who call sinners to repent and to believe do not tell them, you must be born again. Many who preach the gospel and tell sinners they must be born again do not call them to a life of holiness and obedience to Christ. I praise the living God that while there are faithful leaders in politics, pretty few, but faithful leaders in politics and churches... Our nation as a whole has become a radically deformed and perverse cesspool of rebellion against Christ and his word. I thank God when I meet someone who actually has something that looks like love for Christ. I want to be with them. That's who I enjoy. There are men here in the congregation I could spend any day with just enjoying, encouraging one another in the things of Christ. So, I want to bring you to remembrance for just a moment. Every prophet was God's mouthpiece to men. Christ was God's mouthpiece. Each apostle was Christ's mouthpiece. And every God qualified and appointed pastor is Christ and the apostles' mouthpiece. Speaking the Holy Scripture to feed. God's sheep and glorify God on high. Our text begins, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. He certainly does. There's no higher calling. There's no greater possibility of failure. But Christ keeps his faithful men. So, while that good work is multifaceted, the bishop's primary labor are prayer and preaching God's infallible word. That's what feeds the sheep. Wait a minute. Are you telling us that we shouldn't have private time alone with the scriptures? Not at all. You certainly should be. In fact, the question would be, if not, why not? You should be alone with Jesus. He speaks from his word and we speak back 
in prayer. That's Christianity. That's the, that's the bottom line. He speaks. We listen. We obey. We talk back in the best sense of that phrase. It's called prayer. So, that should certainly be an observable and obvious facet of anyone who's considering being a bishop. <clears throat> so our message is entitled, Desiring to be a Bishop. Desiring to be a Bishop. <clears throat> now, beloved people of God, I do not cease to pray for you. I ask Christ that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might. According to his glorious power. Unto all patience. And long suffering. With joyfulness. I pray with all my heart. That God will bless you with that. That he will bless you day in and day out with that. May he be pleased. To set that passage in your heart and realize that it's a living word that's being prayed by a living person on your behalf. So, open our eyes, Lord Jesus, for we take up now thy holy word. Amen. So our, our first major thought then is this. Paul wanted Timothy to describe a biblical overseer. Paul wanted Timothy to describe a biblical overseer. Context is crucial, always. As one of the reasons last week we spent the time to give the context in which Paul makes this statement. The God-breathed text says... This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. In Paul's day, apostolic letters were circulated among Christ's blood-bought people and his blood-bought churches. Everybody didn't have a nice leather-bound or hardback copy of of the scriptures the scriptures were still being written they weren't finished they were being preached to from the old testament which from genesis to revelation is full of christ and then the letters of the apostles and what was written down in our gospels very often they only had a piece a fragment here and there you had to be careful because it was a day when false prophets were writing phony letters. Passing them around. This is history. So, 
apostolic letters were circulated among Christ's people. For example, Paul wrote to the Colossians, when this epistle is read among you, there it is, when this letter is read among you, cause that it be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. I want you all to swap letters. Read what I'm saying. He didn't say, by the way, you're all saved by grace. Don't get worked up about reading the Bible and praying. These guys that get on this a lot of times, they're just legalistic. That isn't what he said. And certainly not what he meant. People that don't have time for the Bible don't have time for Christ. It's just the way it is. Period. It is a holy relationship. We're participating in it or making excuses for why we're not. <clears throat> By writing this letter, Paul was doing something very wise. And I hope that we learn from that wisdom. So usually... <clears throat> someone in a congregation, and it was usually a church leader, would read an apostolic letter aloud to all those that were gathered. Paul's letters to Timothy and Titus were a little different, and for good reason. We're all familiar with uh, Paul's epistle to the Galatians, a church. Paul's epistle to the Philippians, a church. Paul's uh, epistle to the Romans, the church. But he didn't do that here. He could have. He could have said, all right, now I'm talking to you Ephesians. Just like he says in Romans. Ah, now I'm talking to you Gentiles. He could say that. But he didn't. He wrote to Timothy and Titus. Both men that he had put in those congregations for a specific task. Paul affirmed Timothy's authority to the Ephesians. <clears throat> By writing his letter to Timothy instead of the congregation, Paul was affirming young and fearful Timothy's authority to all those who were present. When that, read, when that letter was read, most likely by Timothy himself, but if not, just imagine the congregation that's been riddled with a certain type of doctrine that now... Paul's not happy about, and he leaves Timothy there to straighten out. Here's a young guy. We know from 2 Timothy that he had a fear problem. Any of us ever had that? Fear of what other people are going to think of us? Fear of what people are going to say? Or Let me tell you what. That's, you don't want human worship. You just want to worship God. Fear him. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear the living God. Fear him because he is love. And you don't want to bring dishonor to his precious and pure name. This isn't about whipping yourself. It's about knowing the glory and the beauty and the absolute desirability of Christ. So, Paul is affirming Timothy's Authority in the presence of the people of the church. As that's being read, 
they're hearing Paul's voice coming through that letter, speaking to that man that he appointed to straighten up. Paul made Timothy's intimidating work evident that thou mightest charge some. That means command, by the way. Are you comfortable commanding people? <laughs> I grew up afraid of people, so commanding people was not in my vocabulary generally. The fact is that Paul says, I'm commanding you to command them. This is not an option. This is not, hey, Timothy, try this on. See if this fits. No, he says, go in there and command them that they teach no other doctrine. That would put a false teacher on notice, wouldn't it? If you were one of the false teachers sitting in the congregation... And he read, or someone else read that letter, Timothy, get in there and clean up. Hmm. You'd have to be paying attention. I believe that's exactly what Paul wanted. This is my man, and this is Jesus' man. Listen. Paul has already stated that the false teacher's doctrine was understanding Neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. <laughs> he obviously had not read any of these uh, self-help books out there today. Support and then knock them down. That's the idea. You, know, you talk nice to them. Very often when you hear that nice stuff coming, you know that they're about to tell you you're fired or something else. All right. That's a man-made thing. Paul didn't function with that stuff. Now, he was careful. He loved people. And he especially understood stumbling God's people. So he didn't want to do that. But he just said this plain and simple. The false teachers, the guys that are in you that you're so fired up about right now, they don't know what they're talking about. And Paul could say that. Hard for us to do that with as much false doctrine as there is out there, even among those who say they agree but so here, here is Timothy. <laughs> He's in a place where it's just been read before everybody. These guys don't know what they're talking about. Paul then commanded Timothy to war a good warfare. What does that say? What's that saying to the congregation? Uh-oh. Timothy's here to make trouble. Right? We're all really liking what we're hearing and Paul says no go in there and war that's what you do with truth there are more things to do with truth obviously so <clears throat> Paul says go in there and war a good warfare holding faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made a shipwreck Paul you, man Where's your tact? Of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander? And he named somebody whom I have delivered to Satan. That's serious. That's very serious. Excommunication is very serious. 
It means, it doesn't mean that a, a pastor or a church knows with certainty, with certainty that someone is not regenerate. But it does know with certainty that they refuse to obey Jesus. Therefore, they may not come to the supper because it's for repentant sinners. Obviously, Timothy holds the faith and good conscience of which Hymenaeus and Alexander made shipwreck. The entire congregation would realize that Paul had excommunicated those two men because of their aberrant doctrine. They would also realize how serious Paul was for the pure gospel of Christ. And finally, they would realize that Timothy now stood in their midst with apostolic authority and apostolic doctrine. That's formidable. Probably not to those in the congregation. They are dull because of the false doctrine they've been listening to. But they know, hmm, Things may be about to change here. This is exactly why Paul left him there. Paul told Timothy to clean house at Ephesus. And that he was behind Timothy all the way. Likewise, Paul's later statement. Let no man despise thy youth. We won't spend any time on this. It's just that the general consensus is that he was probably in his mid to late 30s. When we say youth, we didn't mean a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old. Here's a man who, though he started laboring with Paul early on, <clears throat> Paul now has the confidence to say, go in there and help that church. Face down the false teachers and preach the truth so that God's people will be edified and God will be glorified. They're running off the rails in many ways. <clears throat> so, Paul says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. That's why he's there, and that's why God puts pastors in churches. One of the things that's come into our language, and it's now standard part of our uh, discourse with one another, is, well, what does that look like? Right? Well, I, what would that look like for me? What does that look like? Well, that's what's... That's why the Lord puts pastors. They don't just preach. They preach what Christ has taught them. And then they live it. So God's people know what to do. That's one of the worst things about parental hypocrisy. Telling your children, don't do this, don't do that. And they're watching you. When they get old enough, they realize he's not doing anything that we see here in the scriptures. He can talk. He can command us. He can expect things from us. 
but I can live in my disobedience. That's somebody that's probably on the way to hell and fairly quickly. I'm saying to you, brethren, these are realities that we've got to deal with in the day in which we live. Don't let anybody despise your youth, but be an example. Be, don't just get up there and think you're something. You're not. Just get up there and tell them what I've taught you. I learned it from Christ. Now listen to the way he lays this out. Be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation. Conversation here means behavior. In your lifestyle. In charity. In love. And when they look at you, whatever else they think of you, they should be able to say, that man loves you. I don't agree with him on this, and I don't agree with him on that, but he loves me. In spirit. In faith. When things start caving in, and everybody in the family that professes to be a Christian just walk around like something like this could not possibly happen to people like us. <laughs> what book are you reading? What book are you reading? As our brother preached so beautifully to us on Wednesday evening, God purposefully brings afflictions and sufferings into our lives to wake us up but most of all, to make us like Christ. Because you and I have a default button. Issues happen, we press the default button. What is the default? Flesh and how I feel. And how could this happen? Instead of, okay, I know that story about Joseph. Look at all the things that happened to him. His brothers hated him. They threw him in a pit. They sold him down into Egypt. He was sold as a slave to a man whose wife accused him of rape. Went back into jail. I mean, you can just go through the whole thing. And Joseph could have spent his whole life just going, man, you know, I've been traumatized. Now, can you be traumatized? Of course you can. And there are things in life that can deeply traumatize you. I know that. I've had it happen. But the point is, how do you respond? That's always the issue for the Christian. Lost people suffer. Christians suffer. What's the difference? What Christians know. They know their God. They know that Christ loved them before the foundation of the world. They know that Christ came into this world to save them from their sins, from the power of sin, from the pleasure of sin, and someday from the very presence of sin. Hallelujah. We run to Christ. Oh, we should. Run to Christ. When that thing caves in, it doesn't feel good. I mean, especially when you've made big plans. And you have big expectations. And then something just caves in. What do you know? Well, again, that's one of the reasons God puts pastors and generally older men in the pulpit. Why? Because they've lived. If they've been crushed. 
and they've got scars. And there have been situations God's put them in where they've left, so to speak, blood on the ground. And they've learned, I know how you're feeling. I know what you're experiencing. Now listen, let's go to Christ. Let's get to Christ. Let's get to the promises he's made. Let's remember that he loved us so much he spilled his life's blood for us. If he did that, what would he not do for us? And if he leaves us with a difficult problem, I can tell you what he's doing. I can. Did you know that? I'm not a prophet. I don't wear a prophet's hat. But I can tell you exactly what he's doing. He's making you like Christ. Amen. I know that's what he's doing. Because he says it. It's right there in Romans 8. So, he is to be, Timothy is to be an example for the congregation. And he's probably been beaten up and bruised and probably and may even still be experiencing that from providence, from the world, from his own flesh. But he's to be an example to the congregation about how you deal with it. <clears throat> Paul goes on to say, till I come. There's kind of a, a little alert for the congregation. I'm coming back. And when I come... <clears throat> give attendance to reading, that's probably the scriptures, to exhortation, and listen, this is the big word, throughout the pastoral epistles. Doctrine. Oh, but we don't, we don't like all that doctrine stuff. Doctrine divides. Yes, it does. Lost people from saved people. I'm not talking about secondary doctrines. We can sit all day and argue who's got the right ecclesiology. Those are important matters. But when it comes down to who is God, who is Jesus Christ, what did he do to save sinners? You've got to know that. You've got to be good at that doctrine. You need to understand because there's somebody ready to give you a phony gospel every minute. Paul says... Till I come, do these things, especially that doctrine. Neglect. That's why he's there. Tell some of the others, I'm preaching Paul's doctrine. You're not. Stop. He didn't say, let's sit down and have a conference. He's been told. He's been giving his mar- given his marching orders. Tell him to stop. Don't preach any other doctrine. He then says, neglect not the gift that is in thee, which is given to thee by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the presbytery. He's encouraging his brother. He's encouraging his younger friend. And he says, now meditate upon these things. That was a long list that he gave him. Meditate on those things. There's fruit from it. Listen carefully. He says, meditate upon these things. Give thyself holy to them, W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself 
and in them, and them that hear thee. Those are high stakes. Are they not? Brethren, do, do we not get it? We, the world wants to, well, the, uh, given its real self, the world would eradicate all Christians. If it could. The fact of the matter, if they can't, there's a lot of other things that they can do. But the world, the flesh, and the powers of darkness will do everything it can to get us off track. To get us off the doctrine of Christ. The doctrine of God. The doctrine of the gospel. The doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. There's an enemy at every moment that will do everything it can to distract you. Okay, you're going to hold on to your, your gospel. You're going to hold on to your justification. Okay, well then we'll tamper with your life. We'll just make it a living lie before the world. And some of us too easily give in to that one. I want to be like everybody else. Hmm. No, you don't. No, you don't. The apostolic doctrine of Jesus Christ, God's word to the world, was at stake, and apostolic authority would be crucial in light of the intimidating task Paul gave to Timothy. To distort the gospel would make the false teachers guilty of soul murder. S-O-U-L. We can be wrong about some things. Quite obviously, we all are. And tragically, as believers, even earnest believers, we can be wrong about some of our views on the scripture. You can't be all-mill, post-mill, historic pre-mill, and dispensational all at the same time. Somebody's wrong. And we're all in agreement that Christ is coming back. <clears throat> but our, our salvation does not hang on the minute and the hour. So there are some things that we can wrestle about. We can sure wrestle about what is the preserved word of God and what isn't. That's an important one. But we could go on with a long list, a very long list of where the Lord's people may disagree on some things. But you can't be wrong about the gospel. You cannot be wrong about who Jesus Christ is. It's one of the reasons Paul will tell the Corinthians, I'm afraid for you. What kind of encouragement is that? I'm afraid for you. Because someone might come with a fake Jesus, a phony Jesus, and you'd believe him. They'd bring you a false spirit. Yeah, you can get a wrong and false spirit. And he said, and you might just embrace it. They might come to you with a different gospel. That's a sad thing to say to people who profess to know the living Christ. But it happens. And that's why there are pastors, elders, shepherds, bishops. Are they perfect? Of course not. But God has promised to give good ones. And you want to know where the good ones are and be there. Right. 
Well, can't I just read and preach on my own? No. You were added to a body. Read 1 Corinthians 12. You were baptized into one body. Should you read the scriptures on your own? Of course. Should you study them on your own? Of course. Should you pray and earnestly get along with Christ in the corner, as Brooks, as Brooks loves to say? Yes. Should you be growing in the truth? Yes. And part of that should be a reflection of what you're hearing from the pulpit. Part of it. Not all of it. Where's your Berean spirit? Is this guy, is any guy that stands here automatically, I can believe everything he says? No. You've got an unshakable record right here. Read, study, pray. Of course, do all of that. Build yourself up in the faith. Edify yourself. Of course, that's wonderful. But God deals with his body by giving pastors and elders teachers. Now we'll look at a passage that affirms that. Well, in the face of doctrinal lies, our next heading, in the face of doctrinal lies, Paul delivered a saying to Timothy and the congregation that they should believe. Paul has now spoken plainly against the false teachers, declared the excommunication of two of them, and has forbidden the women to teach or usurp authority over the men in chapter 2. So in the face of that, you can rest assured there are people staring at Timothy. So in the face of that, Paul says, this is a faithful and true saying. Paul uses that formula five times in the pastoral epistles. <clears throat> and it does not appear in any of Paul's other writings. So why is he saying that? Why is he using that unusual formula? We should always get on our knees before the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, teach me. Why is Paul talking differently here? <clears throat> it always introduces an important, basic Christian truth. Always. It often speaks directly to the issue of salvation. Paul first used the saying in chapter 1, verse 15. That beautiful verse. This, this should be imprinted in gold upon our hearts. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So that should just perk your heart up. That should perk your ears up. The living, eternal Son of God became incarnate so that he could save sinners. And how did he do that? By living the law that they've broken. Yes, uh -uh. 
by taking the penalty for the laws they've broken and then rising again, conquering death on their behalf. He did it all as our substitute. It's one of the most beautiful words that, that can sum up the gospel. Jesus, my substitute. Well, remember the, t- the context, if I may jar your memories one more time. Would-be teachers of the law were corrupting the pure apostolic preaching of the cross and God's gospel of grace in Christ Jesus. The power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So many, many of us have heard that so often. It, it's almost like we've gotten a spiritual callous to it. Those are extraordinary words. There is no hope for any human being in the history of this planet to be saved, but by the person and work of Jesus Christ. He alone, that message, the gospel is, if I may put it this way, it's kind of like a love letter from heaven. It's words. While your salvation may involve certain feelings, you don't have to have certain feelings in order to be saved. The Lord didn't say, well, now, if you're all alone and you have a a liver shiver, that was me. He didn't do that. Okay. What What I want us to grasp is that it's a message. It's data. It is information. It is something that is to go into your mind and you are to think about it because there's no other hope for your soul. There's no other message and no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, must be saved. So by these sayings, Paul was affirming apostolic truth to a congregation being seduced by false teachers. This is why he says, this is true. In the light of what you're hearing, I want you to hear something that you need to believe with everything in you. Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. This is a true saying. So then, in the face of false teachers and false teaching, Paul says, I'm giving you something that's true. And if a man desire to be office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Now then, with the qualifications Paul will deliver through Timothy, the congregation will have to come to grips that their present leaders do not qualify. What do you think that do to churches all across this country? If the congregation came to a very clear biblical understanding of the qualifications of elders and then looked at their pastor or pastors and said, how did he get here? Is he is this the way he is? Do we find him like this? I'm going to tell you what most churches are satisfied with. Just give me a preacher and preacher get up and just give me a good old song. Uh, he give me a good old message and I went home feeling pretty good about it. Well, he's, he's supposed to preach. But it's far more than that. There's to be a character with it that validates what he's preaching. 
God demands this. So, with the qualifications that Paul has delivered through Timothy, the church at Ephesus is going to have to deal with some things, especially its leaders. That, no doubt, would catch the attention of the congregation, especially the false teachers. They've been put on notice. That's what Paul is putting them on notice. Do you love Paul? I, I do. <laughs> He's great. He knew how to deal with people. Yes, I know I should study him more. So, Paul emphasized the vital role of Bishop by emphasizing that this saying that he's giving is believable, trustworthy, and reliable for God's people. He began with the most important saying, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But now, he's talking about an elder. How do you compare those? As I said earlier, the elders are to preach the apostolic gospel. They're simply representatives of the Lord. All the authority is in the word and in the living God who gave the word. They have a real authority, but it's just a delegated authority. And we will talk about that in future messages. Well, there will be a part two to this because I'm not going to run through it. We want to find out what it means to be a bishop. In our day, if any of us generally hears the word bishop, we don't think of our pastor, right? <laughs> you understand how I'm saying this. You could call me Bishop Jeff and it would be correct, but you don't have to. <laughs> So let's, let's be very clear. <laughs> but I want you to understand that a bishop is a real function within the body of Christ. It is a real position of delegated authority because it is the, pre, it is the presentation and the modeling of God's word. This is precisely what Paul has told Timothy to do. Doctrine, 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 be patient. Doctrine, 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 and now live it. That's what God has ordained in his eternal purpose to make his people like Christ. Amen. Not the only thing. You didn't just hear me say it was the only thing. And if you did, rebuke your mind. I didn't say that. And I don't mean that. Don't believe it. But it's vital. This is what God's doing. The local church is God's method and he gives those who teach and preach to build up God's people they can can they fail how long have you been here of course but what happens when they fail so my dear brethren we'll take up what is a bishop next time and we will talk about what it really means to desire to be a bishop. It doesn't mean, hmm, I'd like to try that. That's not the idea here. 
And we will consider, God willing, that bishops do rule in their congregations with delegated authority according to the word of God on their knees and cautious and always governing with love. And finally, we'll consider what bishops, elders, shepherds, pastors actually have in common. They're the same name for the same work, but each one gives us, it's kind of like turning a prism, letting the light shine through that prism. You see different colors as you turn it. That's the way these titles are. They, they describe different aspects of the same prism. Right? It's, the it's God's glorious light that shines through it. So all that being said, brethren, then let me say this. Jesus is called the bishop of our souls. He's the ultimate model. <clears throat> How should bishops in a church live? They need to spend a lot of time in the Gospels with the bishop of our souls. <clears throat> they need to learn how Christ dealt with his friends, with his enemies. We need to understand his preaching and his teaching so that as the elders, weak and feeble as they are, if the, if the, the Lord is gracious to use their feeble efforts in preaching, teaching the word, and modeling it with their still sinful flesh, that is moving us toward the ultimate goal of being like Christ. That's what God's doing. And he's doing it in his churches. Yes, study, study, study. That's perfectly good. But you need to understand what God's doing here. May he help us to recognize this kind of man for the elder we are seeking and praying for. This is crucial. <clears throat> Paul is doing this with Timothy because he's making a stark contrast between the false teachers and God's man. Now let's pray. Oh, Christ, thou art the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. It's hard for us sometimes to understand that we're so frail and so fallible, and yet thou dost love us, and by the time our schooling's over, you will bring us to thyself, thy way, thy time, Graduation will be wonderful. We will be like our Savior. Now, O oh God, bless thy children. Help them to think about these things. Help them to ponder what a qualified pastor is. And I pray that in the weeks as we begin the new year, as we look at these qualifications more deeply, may our hearts and minds rise up to thee to praise thee as we expectantly wait 
for thee to bring us a man like this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please stand with me. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee. And be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. I pray that you will know something of that on this blessed Lord's day. Let's be dismissed in the name of Jesus.